Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. I am so excited today about the return conversation that I'm having with Jim King, who's EVP and CCO of the Scott's Miracle Grow Company. I interviewed Jim in January 2019, a year before COVID. And at the time, the company had not refined its purpose. Well, its purpose has been refined to something that is so delicious. And if you're a gardener as I am, it's just great. And it's simple. Grow more good. The company is a very special company. It was founded in 1868 in Marysville, Ohio. And what you're going to hear in my conversation with Jim is the evolution to grow more good. Jim's going to talk deeply about the company's focus on employees. He's going to share what were the challenges of the pandemic. Think about it. People returned to their homes and they gardened a lot. And in fact, during COVID, they gained 25 million new gardeners who found joy and comfort in their outdoor spaces, considering we were locked in our homes for a long time. Jim will also talk about his CEO, Jim Hagendorn, who really understands the responsibilities of a company to its employees and its communities and truly that Grow More Good can also be about racial justice, environmental justice and such. We're going to learn a tremendous amount from this conversation. So join me. It is a great one. I looked back to see when did Jim and I have our first chat. And it was January 2019 and it was only episode eight. So first, I want to welcome Jim back because I'm thrilled because the company has done even more things in purpose, and I'm delighted to bring you back. So welcome, Jim. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, I was thinking about how long you and I have actually had a relationship prior to that podcast, and I just stopped counting because it's starting to make me feel really, really old. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's not true. But, um, (laughs) you know, I I listened again to the podcast because, you know, you you wonder we're now um, we've we had a big milestone. We just surpassed 100 podcasts. And so we're thrilled. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And um, going forward, I've made some changes. The first is that purpose is no longer It's still strategic, but it's now not what is your purpose. It's about embedding your purpose. And the reason I wanted to bring Jim back was that I was doing some research for another client and I jumped onto the Scott's Miracle Grow website and I was blown away because how Jim and his colleagues have evolved their purpose. And um, it's called, I'm just going to steal your thunder because I love it. It's called Grow More Good. 
And it is so simple and it is so profound. And so we're going to talk a lot about what that means and where it's going. But embedding my listeners is what it's all about. It's about the authenticity. It's about all of the stakeholders truly getting engaged. And we're going to talk about that today. So just a little bit about Jim. He's EVP, CCO, Chief Communications Officer, and President of the Foundation. And one of the things that he has said in previous podcasts, but I see it even more so today, is that he wears many hats. So he takes an integrative approach to strategy at Scott's Miracle Grow. Plus, he reports directly to Scott's CEO, Jim Hagendorn. So he wears government affairs, communications, investor relations, environmental outreach, community relations. Uh, where's employees and all that, Jim? Uh, so employee communications uh, is part of my group, and we work closely with our friends in HR who own more of the kind of direct engagement. And since I, I love the amount of growth you've had since you're last on, because you're about two and a half billion then, and you're over four billion now. Uh, I think you had about four thousand employees then. You almost have six thousand employees now, and I love the fact that you have the long term view. You're 153 years old. You're publicly held, but you act like a private company. So kudos to you. So let's get into grow more good. And I love when you say good can grow anywhere. And I want to use some of your copy. We're committed to a world where we can grow more good together. And I always talk about numbers. And here is some good that you've grown. 10 million children, um, you're going to connect to gardens and green spaces by 2023. 130 million people supported with clean water programs through your NGO partnerships. 10,000 metric tons of phosphorus eliminated from the environment annually. I love this one. 5 billion uh, pounds of green waste repurposed annually. And then your volunteerism numbers are off the charts. 92,000 volunteer hours annually for your colleagues. And that's about 15, 16 hours per. And I'm sure some do 40 and some do a little less. That's a lot. So let's just talk about your evolved purpose. How does it make you feel and how is it driving the business? I am really proud of, of what we've accomplished. It wasn't anything that, that I drove. Uh, I think what was really important about what we accomplished is that as an organization, we all got on board together. You, you'll recall I mentioned you know the length of the relationship that you and I have had and we worked on purpose uh, initiatives in the past that that I I just knew weren't going to resonate the way they weren't going to have the momentum that we needed uh, to be sticky in, in the organization. And I kept pulling back and pulling back until I knew that I could bring the brand teams along, that I could bring my partners in, in HR along, and that everybody saw the benefit of doing it because at that point it was sticky, you know, and it, and it was also more credible. I think the grow more good brand, if you want to call it that, um, works because it's authentic, but it, it also works because we have embedded it in everything that we do. Um, if you go across our brand platforms today, you will see that purpose is part of how they communicate to their consumers. You'll see it in our employee engagement and employee our uh, recruitment efforts. So it's kind of embedded across the board. And I think that's the thing that's, that's made it work. 
and I think it continues to gain momentum. So I'm really proud of of how far we've taken it. So let's just talk about the barriers or the challenges or the specific actions that you took to embed it. Where it really started was an understanding of corporate reputation, challenges for corporate reputation, the opportunities for corporate reputation. We did a lot of kind of predictive analysis around different things that the business might evolve to and what the impacts would be on reputation. And I think the more we did that work, the more clearly it became obvious to us that consumers today want to do business with people who share their values. How do they know they share your values if you don't talk about your values and what they are and talk about them in a very real way? And so this started off with an effort to build a brand awareness around the corporation, Scott's miracle Girl. But then do it in a way that allowed the brands to also then start to gain leverage from the partnerships with our NGOs that we have created and worked on for now well over a decade, some of our community outreach initiatives. So I think it just, as we started to look more and more at at not just the need to talk about purpose, but the analytics that we were getting behind it, it became more obvious to people that, okay, now is the time to... um, to work in a more integrated way and, and push this forward. So talk about the predictive analytics, because um, I hadn't known that you were doing that. And I'm sure our listeners would love to know, gee, what can I learn from that to get proof points with data to my senior management? Yeah, I, I want to be a little bit guarded in, in, in how I talk about some of those, because they were specifically related to, to initiatives that we might take acquisitions that we might do, divestitures that we might make, expansion of the business, um, awareness of some of our business partnerships with with other third parties. And and so we were trying to to understand what those steps would mean to us and how people would view the company, if the company, if they would view it differently or negatively, more favorably. And also what was really important in that process is that for our business, like for a lot of the people who are listening to this, millennials have been a big part of your business for a long time. For our business, they're just now coming into our sweet spot, okay? You don't typically do lawn and garden work unless you have a lawn and garden. You usually don't have a lawn and garden unless you have a home, right? Mm-hmm, right. Millennials over the last handful of years have become a significant cohort within the, in the housing market. So a lot of what we were trying to understand how, what what makes them tick? What, what, what are the things that we're doing that would make them view us favorably or unfavorably as they come into the category? And we position a lot of our work around, around them, a lot of our storytelling around them, a lot of our paid social, um, targeting them, even folks that were, were not yet in the category, but we knew were poised to be there in two, three, four years. A lot of our efforts were going to, t- to talk to them. I know from our previous podcast, you talked about someone standing at the shelf, Home Depot, Lowe's, Home and Garden Center, and it's about just feeling good about a brand. You started talking about reputation, but go deeper um, in terms of because the programs that you do with Grow More Good are not nice to have. They are adding to the halo. You also talk about that you're a science-based company, but that gardening and lawn care is personal. It's intimate. 
It's emotional. So how do you utilize your purpose and its programmatic work to all of a sudden I'm standing there and I go, oh my God, in my brain, Scott's Miracle Grow is great. I want to buy it. I've yet in 20 years working at this company, talked to a single consumer or met a single person who wakes up on a Saturday morning and says, man, I got to go buy some more pesticides today. (laughs) Oh, if I only had three more bags of dirt in my garage, that would be fantastic. (laughs) People don't buy our products for for that reason. They buy the products that we make because they're used to do something else that they enjoy. Okay. The amount of gardening being done today is significantly higher than a couple of years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And a lot of that's coming from new gardeners, millennials in particular. They actually garden at a significantly higher rate than their parents, which most people might be surprised by. Mm. But, but they're also more purpose-led, okay? They're not gardening because it makes their house prettier, because it, it increases the curb appeal, right? Which is what their parents did. They're doing it because there's a sense of accomplishment, because they're growing their own herbs and veggies to put food on the table, because it's a better environmental sustainability story for them. Okay, And so if you think about the context of that and you think about, okay, now you're selling inputs for those plants, people want to know that their products that they're using will work in harmony with the environment. They're going to be safe for their family, for their kids, for their pets making sure that they view us as a good steward, mm-hmm. that we're a responsible company, that we've taken proactive steps to, to help the environment, to work with environmental groups, that we treat our associates the right way, that we share their values because we've told them what our values are. Okay, That's a big part of what we're trying to accomplish here. And I think what we're seeing is that that's, that's resonating, especially with those younger consumers. It is resonating. Can you just mention how much growth you've had in the last couple of years? And it's been um, a good time to be in, in the gardening business. So the the gardening business um, overall um, was growing at one yeah, to two percent a year for probably the last decade. Last year it grew by twenty four percent. This year it's probably going to grow another nine or ten percent. We also sell inputs for the legal cannabis trade, uh, mostly commercial sales. That business has doubled in size, all organic growth, no acquisitions uh, over the same two-year period of time. So we've enjoyed um, a really, really, really nice growth spurt here. Uh, I think, and a big part of it, what we're finding, especially on the gardening side, is that it's it's really sticky. You know, we're, we we assumed that we would give back a little bit of last year's growth this year. We didn't. Um, we're actually going to grow again. And overall usage of products net positive, probably 7 or 8% um, in terms of participants. So, you know, what we're seeing is this is a category that I think people have once again discovered as part of COVID. And it's not like some of the other consumer product companies who saw a big bump and then saw it all disappear. Um, our consumers tend to be a lot more sticky, and that's a good thing for us. I think it's a sense of achievement. I mean, uh, you know, and if you if you ever want to get instant achievement, grow a coleus plant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know when I added Miracle Grow by coleus plants, they went boom, and they would just be incredible, overflowing. They're they're really hard to kill. Just give them a little water and a little sun and some Scott's Miracle Grow, and they'll be great. Um, let's talk about grow more good. Mm-hmm. 
when did the shift happen? Because, you know, your previous statement, which I adore, which is about, and now it maybe was always your vision, but I called it your purpose statement years ago, to help people of all ages express themselves on their own piece of the earth. That seemed to be kind of the previous one. I loved it. But then Grow More Good came about. So talk about that evolution and the simplicity of it's beautiful. The, the vision statement to help people of all ages express themselves has, has not really changed. It's what, it's what we mm-hmm. do, right? Right. Um, again, I, I, gardening is one of those extraordinarily personal things. You know, you have your coleus plants. The garden that we have here in, in South Carolina is spectacular. You know, it's, but it's a really personal choice for people. And it's a really intimate business, really. Um, I don't, it's, a, it's a experiential in a very cool way. And so I think we, that's still kind of what we do. Grow More Good is how we do it, you know? Um, what, are, what our kind of values are. And, and the idea of talking about it, we've, t- we've used variations of Grow More Good internally to some degree for, for years. But part of what we realized that we also needed to do is use it as an invitation, okay? Help to join the cause, work with us to grow more good. So when we say we believe we can grow more good, any the good can grow anywhere. I think what we really are saying by that is this is what we're doing, but you can do it too and help us, okay? Um, so so that's, that's kind of how we think about the two living side by side. You talk a lot about your employees. And it seems that in a way, and obviously maybe COVID made it even more important for you, but they seem to be leading um, in your communications on your website and the kind of programmatic work you're doing. So talk about that and the primacy, at least as I see it, as your key stakeholder and why that's so important to the business. You know, on the last conversation that you and I had, I talked a lot about authenticity. And I think the thing that is missing from a lot of purpose initiatives, I don't like the term campaign because I think it just suggests a level of inauthenticity. But I think a lot of what's missing is is a, a storytelling approach that really makes it credible and brings it to life. The stories that you hear from our associates, whether it's about how they view our company, how they view our benefits programs, how they view the opportunity to do some of the volunteer outreach that, that you mentioned before, is what's really brought this thing to, to life for us. And I, you, you mentioned that you noticed it. Let me just tell you, like some of the data I'm sitting here looking at in front of me, um, our purpose-driven traffic to our website has increased year over year by 169%. Overall web traffic traffic is up almost two-thirds over that same period of time. About a quarter of that traffic is driven by associate-led stories. And what we're seeing is when we use those associate-led stories um, to share with people what we're doing, what Grow More Good is all about, the average time that they spend engaging on those stories is almost 10 minutes. Okay? Wow, that's huge. Exactly. exactly. That's huge. You think about the, the attention span of the average person today, it's almost 10 minutes. So we're bringing them in by sharing the stories of, of our associates 
um, our associates are really enthusiastic about participating in it. They love the Grow More Good initiative. Even during COVID, we had Grow More Good days. We had drive-throughs um, <laughs> okay. where the entire executive team would stand in the parking lot and we literally for eight hours and every associate would drive through and have a moment to catch up and we'd give them a gift bag. We'd thank them for what they were doing. We'd you know, engage with them however we could while we were all still working remotely. And, and I think people, they love working here. You know, and and love sharing the story because they believe in what we're doing. And we will in our show notes. Uh, you have a wonderful video of just your employees talking about growing more good, and they are so enthusiastic. And and I, you can tell they're not scripted. It's just it's just really really genuine. So um, I would say for any of our listeners, if you truly want to look at true employee engagement. Go on the website. The stories are, they're marvelous. They're just absolutely great. And the videos are great too. Um, so, so kudos to you. Let's just talk about COVID and your employees. Did, besides the fact that you, I love the fact you stood out there, the senior management, eight hours saying hi to your employees, maybe throwing some product in their trunks or something like that. Um, what else did you do to uh, take care of them during COVID? You know, like a lot of companies that have, manufacturing facilities we couldn't shut down our manufacturing facilities heck we could barely keep up in our manufacturing facilities because the business was growing so fast that we literally our supply chain was struggling to to keep pace and we recognized early on that here we were in our corporate headquarters and other offices that we maintain with all of the white-collar um, associates and executives working from home, being comfortable, you know, oh, what a terrible sacrifice. You got to work from home. And at the, at the same time, we were still asking the field sales force to, to go out on the field. We were asking the manufacturing and distribution associates to, to come to work every day. And yes, we're PPE and we put in protective guards and all those kinds of things that, that were appropriate to do. But we also paid them at the height of COVID, a 50% premium to wow. their hourly salary, five zero. Whoa. And it was on our part, a recognition that we knew we were asking you to make a sacrifice. We were taking every step that we could to keep you as safe as we could. Um, but you're also being asked to do something that we're not asking the executive team to do. So we're going to carve out a very big pile of money to make sure that we're showing appreciation as much as we could. Um, so that that was part of what we did for for the supply chain associates, and I think was in sales associates. So that was really widely uh, appreciated. That's extraordinary because you know you you heard about oh we're going to give another dollar an hour, you know, to an associate or something, or fifty cents an hour or whatever. I mean, fifty percent bump is extraordinary, and I have to remind our listeners: you're a public company. This isn't a private company that could do that. So obviously you, and you always talk about Scott's treats its employees like family, which you do. I mean, and, and again, like treat others how you'd like other people to treat you. So continue. But I just really had to emphasize that point because that I hadn't, I hadn't heard anyone doing a 50%, 50 uh, bump. No, you'd see, you know, a dollar an hour, $2 an hour, you know, 10%, something like that. 
but but nothing to to the extent extent that that we did. You know, we weren't looking for accolades for it. You, you've heard me say this too. I work I work for directly for the CEO and and Jim. It's it's a term that he he used or a question that he posed that we then actually embedded in our grow more good efforts. What would a good company do? You know. Um, and it seems like a really simple question, and it's usually not a very simple question. It's usually a really complicated question. But as it came to this one, we didn't think the answer to that was give an extra couple bucks. People were dying. Um, you know, it was it was a high stress situation for for folks, and we thought that that was the right approach. And and we were very clear with with Wall Street. This is what we're going to do. It's going to increase our costs. So be it. And and we just absorbed it. Now we happen to have you know a fantastic year last year, and so nobody gave us um, problems for the expense that we incurred. But it didn't matter to us whether they did or didn't. Uh, we were going to do it regardless. That's tremendous. So, so kudos to you about really embedding your purpose and walking the talk. Let's talk a bit about some of your initiatives. Um, talk about the pollinators program, because I think that that's, that's quite interesting. It's needed. It's urgent. And, and that's one of the many things you do. But I'd love our listeners to hear about that one. A little bit more step back for a little bit of context. For, I don't know, it's been 12, 13 years, 14 years now. We have worked very closely with a number of, of NGOs across the country, probably all told during that period of time, upwards of 40. I think the current list of, of folks that we're working actively with is somewhere around 25 or so. But a handful of years back, there was a lot of pressure on a classification of pesticides called neonicotinoids, um, which is a systemic pesticide that is primarily used in, in agriculture. And there was concern about the impact of neonics on the bee population in particular. And the research was really unclear on whether these pesticides were impacting honeybee uh, colonies or or not. Um, It's not a huge category within the consumer side, but what we did not want to have happen is our consumers go back to what I said earlier, like they want to know the products are safe for the things that they're trying to do. They're trying to grow beautiful gardens. They like bumblebees and butterflies around their gardens. And so we made a decision a handful of years back to take neonics out of our product lineup. We did that before anybody else did. Very few actually people have followed that, that model because we did not want our consumers sitting there worrying about it. Moreover, what we wanted to do is help them find more ways to attract the kind of pollinators that they wanted to to their gardens. And so we created a couple of different NGO partnerships with with groups that were focused on pollinators in particular. And we supported their efforts to work on pollinator education, pollinator gardens around the country. And they helped us with some of our consumer education efforts as well. So it's been a great partnership. Uh, We have created upwards of 150 pollinator gardens around the country over the last year and a half or so. I think 17 million square feet of pollinator gardens created last year. So it's been a big big focus of of the team's effort, the the part of my team that works on ESG issues in particular, and one that we're, again, really, really proud of. And, And I think, you know, again, this goes back to how do you embed things? 
the parts of the organization on the gardening side and on the pest control side of the business um, that were affected by this, you know, we created forums for them to sit down with these NGO communities and understand, like, what are your concerns? That gave the NGOs the opportunity to understand what we were doing, what our commitment was, how we were trying to communicate to, to consumers. And we found a lot of common ground and we're able to actually help each other. And it really has been beneficial to both sides. I want to underscore that point because you do a lot of work because of your public affairs background in bringing disparate interests and geos together, some of them which are not friends. And you talk and you listen and then you act. You talk about value and vulnerability in our last podcast. Um, you're a master at it. So can you share with our listeners some of the insights in bringing those groups together and what you can learn by listening. Listening goes both ways, right? We're listening, they're listening. It gives, it gives them a better understanding of what it is that we're really trying to accomplish, what our business is really about, helps them understand that, you know, let's just take, I'll keep going back to how consumers use our products this is a really unique category, and it's, it's probably the only one that you can think of, that every time somebody uses our product, they are physically interacting with the planet, okay? Touching the environment in a very tactile way. Selling people products that work in opposition to the environment is a death sentence for us. <laughs> right. It makes no sense, okay? And so... Helping some of these organizations understand who our consumers are, how we're trying to service them, what our purpose really is in doing that, not our grow more good purpose, but like providing them the tools that they need, I think is really informative and educational for those groups. Likewise, we understand where their concerns are coming from, what kind of behaviors that they're looking for, what things um, keep them up at night. And for our R&D and our marketing people to hear those concerns voiced to them directly and to create a dialogue and sometimes shape some changes in, in product profiles and some of our packaging and some of our consumer education is really helpful. And, and we've been able to get that from, from them. So it works both ways. I, I think the idea of pretending that opponents don't exist is just foolish. They, they do. Okay. They always will. Sit down and figure out where you can find common ground. Figure out how you can support some of their efforts. Is there a risk to that? Hell yeah, there's risk to that. Uh, and a lot of folks, a lot of companies won't do it. Let's go back to being a public company. A lot of public companies just want to keep their head down and just keep turning the crank and, and making money. And, and, and risk is not something that a lot of people want to take on as it relates to public affairs issues. I think sometimes you have to, to get it right. And, and we have, and I think more than anything during my tenure, I think the thing that I'm most proud of is the fact that we have taken some of these challenges in our organization and we've turned them into opportunities by, by sitting down with people who were, who didn't really understand our business and therefore were taking shots at us. And, and did you have to convince Jim Hagendorn, your CEO, to do these things, because, you, you know, you place some big bets. 
Um, when you did the George Barley Water Prize, you know, that was a $10 million um, water prize to um, try and find a solution for algal blooms that, uh, as you said, 15,000, you know, water, bodies of water in this country and, you know, how they're being impacted. But it was a national issue. But it was it was a big number. You took on the presenting sponsor. Did you have to convince him? I mean, how did you work with him? I'm really fortunate that I work for somebody like Jim who, who gets that. I have been really empowered for quite a long time to drive these, these efforts because he believes in them, okay? Just within the last handful of weeks, he's come to me again and said, should we be sitting down with our NGO partners and talking to them about XYZ challenge that we have coming our way? And the answer is absolutely. Okay, because we want them to understand if this opportunity manifests itself on day one, that they get it and they embrace it and they say, we understand what you're doing and, and we support it. So Jim's been a big advocate of, of this, and we've actually been able to use him as as part as, as a messenger and because he really is a, a believer um, in really, really cares about environmental issues. His family, who still owns 25% of the company, really cares about environmental issues. And and it's become kind of part of our internal efforts. I'm envisioning a sign on your office door, which is like, risk welcomed here. Or talk to me about controversial issues. I, you know, I want to embrace them. The people who struggle the most at our company when they come in are people who are averse to taking risks. Uh, the people who embrace them, I think, are the people who um, do the best. And, and obviously, listen, if you just keep taking dumb risks and failing, well, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you won't have a job. You'll be out of a job. We want people to take smart risks. Uh, we want people to try new things. And it's worked really well. So it's an approach that I think is really a very big part of our corporate culture. Can you talk about some of your other favorite Grow More Good initiatives besides the pollinators program? Um, I, I think the one that has resonated the most or is the work that we're doing with around community gardens and, and kids. So we, we started a program 15 years ago or so called grow 1000. That was about putting, it was focused on putting a thousand community gardens in around the country. And again, something that we can't physically do ourselves. So we had to have partners all over the country to help us do that. Uh, we had national partners, we had regional partners, we had local partners that we did that with and, and funded their efforts. And it was really, really well received. And, and you talk about kind of an integrated approach to things. You know, if you're going to pick a city, go to Dallas, you're going to go to Atlanta, you're going to go to Orlando, you're going to go to Cleveland, wherever it was, uh, we would do these projects and they were significant projects led by community leaders but what governor or, or mayor doesn't want to show up at that? Right. <laughs> okay. right. I mean, really. Um, what, what member of the House doesn't want to show up in his or her district when that's happening? And it also gave us a platform to really help those people who are an important stakeholder group of ours understand who we are and what we were trying to do in the community. So it worked really well for us. That has morphed into the effort currently underway which is to introduce gardening to, to 10 million kids over a five-year period of time. And we're making great progress against that goal. I'm confident that we will easily achieve or exceed that goal. And that's one I think that 
our associates really embrace because so many of them have kids. So many of them see the benefit. They want to, they want to engage in a lot of the uh, volunteer efforts around kids gardening projects. So it's been, it's been one that we've gotten a lot of traction from. And I noticed you added the word green spaces to gardens. So um, what was the thinking behind that? This goes back to being embedded, right? So we have three real areas of our, our business, slightly on equal thirds. The gardening side of the business, that's the miracle Grow brand. The control side of the business, which is the ortho brand. And then the lawn care side of the business, which is the Scots brand. So we have our pollinator gardens that the ortho team can support. The community gardens and children's outreach that the miracle Grow brand can support. But the Scott's brand, you know, listen, again, some people have a yard because they want to have a pretty yard. Especially younger consumers today want to have a yard for their dog. They want to have a yard for their kids to play in. Okay. So green spaces and places for kids to play have been a really important part of what the Scott's brand has been trying to do from a cause perspective for quite a long time. And they've, they've had a number of different partners, including currently Major League Baseball, where we'll go into underserved communities and just completely renovate uh, an ignored park and put a baseball field back in place or a play center back in place for those kids to use. And so green spaces come into play and in, in, in things like that. Right. That's, that's great. Yeah. And, and it's certainly it's a social justice issue where highways have just cut through, sliced through communities, cut them off from the rest of the city, lost their green spaces. So I'm really thrilled that you're doing that. I hope to see that you're going to expand that even further. And you you talked about, is MLB a partner in the green spaces? Or is that on a per city basis? In the the field refurbishment programs, yes. The field refurbishment, okay. And do you have any partners in the green spaces program yet? Some of them are some of the same ones that we're working with on the community garden um, efforts. None that are dedicated solely to that, though. You want to give any shout outs to give them a pat on the back? Listen, we're doing a lot of really good work with with Head Start. Um, That's been one that's really been a great partner for us. Uh, I don't want to go through the whole list because I'm afraid I'm going to leave people out. Uh, But, you know, but we've got a good list of folks. I think Head Start's one that you wouldn't think would be a, a partner for you. So curious about how that they came to be, be a partner. Again, it was about giving kids access and seeing the benefit of kids getting access early in life to gardening and how important it is for them and how you can use it as a learning opportunity for, for kids. So that's really how that partnership evolved. And it's been a really good partnership for us. And I'm curious in terms, I I know I work with them for PNC and I think it was great. I'm curious about partnerships. Do you go seek them? Do they come over the door? Is it a combination of, you know, both sides? It it started off with us seeking them. Um, And and it started off really with finding partners on the water side of, of things. This goes back probably 15 years ago. A lot of concern mounting across the country around alcohol blooms and it started in small communities in the upper midwest that we saw that happening and it was starting to become a bigger problem across the country across the world folks were looking at an easy solution 
And there is no easy solution. There's a lot of issues that are causing algal blooms, but you could point to lawn fertilizer and say, well, that's the problem. There's no research that is valid research that would say that it is the problem, but we still found ourselves in, in the crosshairs of the discussion. And that's actually what led us to start working with reaching out to 10 GOs and sharing with them the data, underwriting further research, making commitments that we would change product formulations further if the research came back and said what they thought it was going to say, which it, which it didn't. But we started working with them and building a relationship that just grew and grew and grew. And I think part of what we were doing then, Carol, is, is also creating forums, bringing all these different voices together. And so we, we bring 50 people together to talk about water quality issues. And what, what started to happen is that there was a conversation that started to build within that community. And all of a sudden, our phones started ringing. And folks were saying, hey, we understand you know, what you're doing. We'd love to tell you what we're doing. Maybe you can support us too. Um, so some of it's us reaching out. Some of it's people reaching out to us. But you were a, a convener and you were open to it. And, and I think that some companies are very shut down, like only the ones that we choose. And I think that you're proving for years and years of success that it's two-way and it's being open, value and vulnerability in some of those issues, that that's where the really great work and results can happen. Mm -hmm. You simplified the purpose, grow more good. And so if you were talking at a conference to your colleagues that sit in your seat and they were saying, you know, we, my CEO is just, oh God, asking me, asking me, what's our purpose? What's our purpose? Can you give your colleagues, you know, two or three nuggets of advice? How should they get started on this journey, especially because they have to respond to their CEO? Well, I, my gut reaction is to say, look the CEO in the eye and ask her or him, what's our purpose? What would happen if our business went away? What would the impact be on the world if our business went away tomorrow? Sir, ma'am, like what would it be? Okay. CEOs have to believe in this stuff. I, I think actually leading a company and understanding the answer to that question is really, really critical. It can't be a tagline. Part of the reason that this has worked for us is because it really is how we view ourselves. It really is how we run our business. And we happen to be a unique space where we can use words poetically that they kind of get to that. Um, and, and it works because of what we do. Nike gets to use, just do it. Well, because it's what they do, right? <laughs> so, so I think that can't be something that you treat as a campaign. You can't view it as something that we've got to have a purpose. Well, what is it? Like, ask yourselves as a leadership team, what is it? And then figure out how to communicate it. But it has to be real in my mind, or it's just, it's just words. You know, consumers aren't foolish people. They're really smart people. And they can see through something that just sounds like a phony tagline. So if you can't really live it, if you can't really be it, then don't try. There you go. Move on. I love it. If you can't live it and be it, just move on. And then any key two or three insights regarding embedding? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, and I say this as a member of the leadership team and a kind of the, one of the corporate leaders, right? 
I, I, I don't think that corporate communications or ESG or public affairs teams can do this on their own and make it work, okay? When it becomes part of your employee engagement efforts, when it becomes part of your marketing efforts, when the supply chain's talking about how they they use it too, that's what really brings it to life. That's what makes it real. That's what makes it sticky. And then if you're going to talk about your purpose you know, publicly, you, you have the, the ability to, for it to gain traction because it is part of how you operate your business every day. And that's why I say if you can't do it, then move on. If you can't actually embed this in, in how you run things every day, then I think you got to be really careful about talk, how you talk about it. That's my personal feeling. Others may disagree, but um, that's my thought. How you operate your business. That's exactly what the leadership companies such as Scott's Miracle Grow is doing. Bringing your purpose to life, living it in your operations, living it with your relationships, with your stakeholders, and also the naysayers. And so this has been an excellent conversation. I knew it was going to be. And again, as you said, you know, you are in controls, you're in fertilizers, you're in, it's not, you're not selling the flowers, you're enabling them. And I think that's a broadened view on what a business does bring that our listeners, I hope that they will embrace. So last word to Jim King. I have said it in different ways multiple times, I think. Bring other people with you. Bring your partners with you in, in supply chain, in R&D, in marketing, in HR. That's what makes this stuff work. It's what's, at least that's the recipe that we've, we've used. And when we were finally able to get that level of integration and get it embedded into multiple work streams within the business, it, it came to life in a very powerful way. And I'm absolutely, totally convinced that it is a campaign that will, or an effort that will long outlive my, my tenure there um, because it's been so ingrained in what we do. So I want to thank you for this wonderful conversation. One of my favorite topics, which is gardening and flowers or flowers all over my house, at least in fabrics and things like that. And I want to say to our listeners, um, please, you know, go to uh, www.purpose360.com. Please give us a rating and a review or suggestions about other guests to have. And then I want to ask our listeners to answer this question. And it's changed from the last time we talked. I used to say, what is your purpose? But now I say, what is the power of your purpose? <laughs>